If only creativity had a Konami code. Welcome to the Church Mag Podcast. How to communicate with your tech team, Church Mag's new podcast host, and posts from around the web. How do you communicate with your tech team? With a phone tree where you call Bob and then Bob calls Gary and then Gary calls... Yeah, probably not. Phil, how do you communicate with your tech team? Uh, generally, I think it's just SMS texting is all it is. Um, and this is actually one of the areas where we're going to have to grow uh, next few months at our church. We've got a tech team of about um, – it's loosely organized. You've got your sound booth guys. You have your guys who handle the, the Wi-Fi network. And you got this guy who does that. This guy does that. It's, it's a little bit loose, playing a little faster than loose because we've been – we're a church that's been on that's been on the move for like seven years. And we've I think we've plateaued a little bit, which is going to have time to lick some wounds in a few areas, um, stretch our legs in a few areas, and then kind of get back on the run. And I think those are some areas we're going to need to tighten up and find an efficient way to communicate and to build a team culture and community. It's been interesting talk, thinking about this discussion because, Phil, you and me had um, this conversation earlier about what it means to have community with your church tech team. And um, I think that it goes beyond just simple communication skills and a complete shift in your focus of um, what a church tech team does. I think a lot of churches across America at least see the church tech team simply as a couple of skilled people that want to be able to help serve the church, but don't give it any other credence than just that. And so if you're a church tech team out there, how much time do you actually spend in community with your church tech group? How much time do you actually get invested in by your leader as far as from a spiritual standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, from a just a relational standpoint? And so I think that you need to think about what it means to be able to do that. And there's a lot of ideas out there, but it's almost an entire shift in your thinking as far as an approach to a team and communicating well. Yeah, I think that that kind of shift could be applied to just about any team in the church as well. Instead of looking at these teams as some people that you work with while you kind of do your little church job on on Sunday, and then that's the end of it, opposed to thinking of these teams, whether it be a church tech team, whether it be the worship team, whether it be the usher team, looking at it, as you said, Jeremy, a, a community, so that when you're working with these people, you're not just working with your team member, but you are working with your friends. One of the um, pastors at our church is a guard, uh, connections pastor. He does with assimilation and volunteers and teams, and and it is his vision that like our, our host teams and our our parking lot team, they, they'll be go beyond being teammates and become family. And that they'll uh, you know, they'll have a, one guy have a barbecue at his house and they'll hang out and they'll they'll build relationships through serving together. And I think that's how you build camaraderie. That's how when, when someone walks into your church for the first time and they see that your hosts are friendly to you, but they they genuinely care and respect each other. I, I remember being in my church uh, years ago. It was a lot smaller. And uh, we had a lady who handed out bulletins who was really nice and really kind, but, but didn't really like a lot of people. And no one really liked her. But she was she was a bulletin lady. And it was just it was apparent when you walked in. Bulletin lady. That could be like a skit. Bulletin lady. Mm, plans for later. Anyway, <laughs> I think that the idea that you, your teams are small communities just is incredible. And let's 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 call it what it is. The tech team 
is one, a great place for young people to learn life skills, like job market skills. And so if you can build a community, these people can be trained and can learn skills and abilities that will carry them through the uh, high school, college, into the job market. That's amazing. Secondly, Tech Team is one of the greatest places for people to fall into morally gray or morally dangerous areas with pornography. And uh, our denomination's uh, attorney uh, released a statement a few years ago that the number one place for um, child abuse in, in the church is the tech team. You spend so much time alone, no one can see you in the booth, and, and so on and so forth. And you can build a community there with your team. You're building, a, uh, you're building accountability. You're building a place where um, individuals can speak to each other honestly, but through relationship and through love. Well, and if we're honest, as far as what the perception is of the tech team, it really is seen from the standpoint of the church as a B team. And this is both coming from someone that's sat on the side of as a pastor, as well as a church tech team, and not even team leader, just part of the team, that your idea is to support. And for me, that's awesome because I want to serve others. But it's so sad to see, especially if you're a team leader, that other people treat your group as the B team compared to the worship team that's up front, the pastors, even Unfortunately, the people that are welcoming others in and simply shaking hands. And so I personally don't appreciate the idea of giving it that credence. And so for me, for my experiences of talking to others with church tech teams is that means that it's just a place where you go, you do your job, you learn a skill, and then you're done. It's not relational. There's nothing more to it than operating a soundboard when in reality why not make that investment? For me, that was the purpose of getting into ministry is because someone said this is more than just someone sitting back there on media shout or operating a soundboard. It's it's yeah. an entire ministry where we're going to go out and get coffee. We're going to invest in these people with our budget by sending them to a conference to learn how to do church communication better. We're going to tell them that they have an investment in this church to actually make the decisions on what's going to happen next as far as growing the church. And so as a teenager, I had certain skills that nobody else did, and they honored that, and they allowed me to speak into the process. They validated a lot of what was going on within me, and now I want to serve the church probably with more passion because of this church tech team that invested in me because there was community there. Yeah, and the church tech team is fertile ground as far as growing a community because if you look at those that are, let's say, the usher group, like there isn't, it's a lot more difficult to find a common ground in the usher group because no one no one has the day job or the hobby of being an usher, true, right? True. Whereas with the church tech team, a lot of these guys, they may build websites or they read similar read similar blogs or, you know, they can talk about apps or designing sound or, you know, there's a lot of overlap in the church tech area yeah. where guys have common interest outside of Sunday. Yeah. You know, whether it be their day job, whether it be their hobby, whether it be something that right. they do just even for fun. And so really it is it is the perfect it is the perfect storm. It's a great recipe to cook up an awesome community. You're right, Eric. The tech guys, they can talk shop all they want to, and all of a sudden, they're hanging out after service as as people just talking about technology, and that's their connection point. So I think you're right. The tech team is is ripe for the, that uh, community to grow. Well, now that we've convinced everybody listening that they definitely need to foster some community among their church tech team, 
you're probably wondering, you know, how should I go about that? And I would say to go about it naturally. And you don't have to be a leader to begin to foster that. You can just be on the tech team. And the way you do it is you invite somebody over for dinner after church. You just start hanging out and being real people and begin to you know build and establish a friendship with different people. And it'll just grow. And those connections will just begin to spread. It can happen during the week via social media. And just, you know, the community is there. Just yeah. reach out and start. I would even push the idea of letting the entire team dream together on a frequent basis and giving them credence to what they suggest as far as trying to improve the service and running with what they have to say if it's something that would be doable or valid. And if it's not, to walk alongside them and to help them do that even better as far as dreaming for the church. Yeah, and I think you could probably dream the best with church tech if you, like, met, you know, before church or sometime during the week in the morning before work or or something like that and met somewhere and had coffee and probably donuts. I think donuts help that process a lot. I, I think they require it theologically. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think not to become a donut ministry, Jeremy, of course. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was say, we're stepping on toes there. I will say for me, one of the best experiences as far as community with church tech is there was a group of guys that were together and we, on Friday nights, um, probably every other Friday night, would go out and play Halo, grab a couple of pizzas, do an ad hoc network, um, grab a bunch of energy drinks or Mountain Dew, and just play and play and play. And then we'd have these random ideas in the in the midst of teaming up and uh, trying to destroy each other. They would actually have these great ideas of, let's do this. And we'd all get passionate about it, and then we'd all be like hung over the next day from the, the caffeine and the pizza. And... The next day, be like, we definitely need to do this. How are we going to propose this? And so it's those nights of just being together and enjoying each other's time and, and, and company. And I know that once you get kids and things slow down, that that might not necessarily be the case. But to be able to protect that and to value it and, and to have those moments of we're just in this together is so awesome. Well, I, I think I think it goes back to if we can. Pause for a minute and speak to the pastors for a second. Phil, how, Phil, this is a podcast. If we pause the podcast, how are you going to speak to the pastors? That's true. If we can talk to the pastors for a second, the person you set up as the team leader for your tech team doesn't have to be the smartest guy on the team. I mean, this should be intelligent. This should be knowledgeable. But look for a person who is a leader, not only in their charisma, but also in their spirit. You need somebody who can who can draw the group together, who can lead them, who can, if you're dreaming, you, you got to be able to dream God's dreams. You know, you don't need a tech team to come to the pastor and say, hey, we have this cool idea for this, this, and this, this, and this. And the pastor's like, hey, that's great. But I feel like God gave me a vision for this technology thing. I was going to bring it to you guys. And the tech team's way off course because they were dreaming about what's cool and not about what perhaps God wants that church direction, that church to go in. It comes down to, I think, you know, be, be real. Community happens naturally. Like Jeremy described it a very cool way community happens for him. And I think part of that comes down to the, the people who are doing tech, and the people who are perhaps quote unquote in charge of the tech. And that's a thing pastors need to consider, you know, in, uh, in meetings before we have, going back and forth, but who should lead a certain ministry and, and, and this kind of thing and prayed about it and whatnot. And I feel like sometimes the tech team is like, well, which guy is the oldest or which guy knows the most stuff and who has the most degrees and he's all of a sudden in charge. And that, that may work, but 
it's not necessarily guaranteed to work that way. I agree that you do need to find a leader within the church and know what works well. But if you're going to fall into the church stereotypes and the church leadership as it is right now, there's a huge gap between thinking um, with great intention and stewardship and thinking as far as being able to enable your church to do better, at least in a small church setting. Maybe the mega churches have a different yeah. approach to this and they, they use the, sc- the flat screens well and they are engaging well on social media, but a lot of churches that are traditionalists do not necessarily have that approach. And so putting in someone that thinks reasonably may be the worst person. And if you can find a Steve Jobs for the church that is willing to go the extra mile for your team and think not necessarily cool, but relevant from mm-hmm. an approach of technology within the church and have the balls to say yes, then we're going to be able to do something amazing. And I think that that is as important for especially a church of 200 people as it is for someone that needs to say, we're going to do this and it's going to work. Yeah. I think, Jeremy, your point about smaller churches and, and no vision casting and keeping things traditional I would wager I would wager a bet that they don't even have tech teams. They have tech people. They have one or two people who run sound alternating Sundays, and that's the extent of it. If one of their sound guys t- turn this podcast on, they're listening to us and weeping <laughs> and wishing that they had a tech team. Well, and I think that we can end well on the fact that everybody longs for community. We just need to change a little bit of the culture of the church and say, let's do this. And let's do this right. Boom shakalaka. We have with us on this episode, Jared from Buzzsprout, giving us five reasons why churches should be using Buzzsprout to be hosting their sermons online. Buzzsprout is awesome for church mag, but what about church sermons? Jared, tell us five reasons why churches should be using your service to host their sermons. Sweet. Well, thanks, Eric. Uh, yeah, the, the number one reason that we always get is uh, the pastor always wants to know, how do I publish a sermon to iTunes? The only thing they ask the media directors, they know about all the other stuff, but a pastor wants to know, how can I publish it in iTunes? And that's one thing that Buzzsprout does really well. It has a simple walkthrough that helps you walk through the steps to submitting your RSS feed into iTunes, getting it there, and then pulling the stats back into Buzzsprout. And so within a few, maybe 10 minutes, um, a church can put their RSS feed in to iTunes and get approved, and everything everything works just like that. It's a simple walkthrough process. Uh, the second reason... Um, is they get a web page for their podcast uh, in case they don't have a website or a media page. And so a church may want to start a podcast but not have the developers on hand to make another page on their website or they may not have a website. And so Buzzsprout provides an, their own public page for them to to post to, to link to, to share out from. And so that has links out to Facebook and Twitter so they can start publishing before they ever get anything onto a website but if they do have a website, the third thing that churches always email in to us and just say, hey, this is really great, is we have several embed options, including a large player that automatically updates with new episodes or new sermons um, that's perfect for a media page. So this has to do with if you have a website, if you just want to put another tab up there as a media section, um, this large player will fit into any size web page and will automatically update. And we've taken a lot of care to make that a really um, official looking 
players so that it just it looks very very good on a, on a church website media page and there's two other reasons the fourth one is they don't have to worry about any um, file sizes file qualities we take any file that they have and we optimize it for the web and our plans are based on hours the number of hours they upload instead of the size of their audio files uh, so this just makes it really easy for our, our media volunteers to just upload audio and know exactly where they are. And so that also is great because they can pick a plan pretty easily. You know, hey, I, I have a sermon that is about an hour long that I do, you know, once a week. They could pick a plan that, that fits for them. Or if they have a pastor that likes to talk for 90 minutes, uh, they could do this the same. And so it just makes it that much easier that they don't have to worry about that. Finally, the best thing, I think, um, is we're obsessed with making our customers happy. And so we, uh, we do provide personal support for all of our churches that email at, into us or all of our podcasters that email into us. And so um, I luckily am, am part of that. I get to field most of the emails that come into our support, and I get to respond to them definitely within a couple of hours. Usually it's within a half an hour or so. And I, I just get to make them happy and, and answer their questions and stuff like that. And so what we found is that's a really big part of why churches want to link up with Buzzsprout. It's just because, hey, when I need help, they're there to help me and they're very friendly about it. And they just do that sort of thing. And uh, we are very excited to now partner with Eric and Church Mag in hosting this podcast. Well, you know, Jared, I just have to say this. We were looking for a few extra features that we just weren't getting hosting ourselves. We were looking for statistics, number one, because you can't have a podcast very long before you realize that you need to know how many people are listening. You just want to know that. You need some sort of you know statistical data, just like you do with Google Analytics. And this was a, a great way to do it, to have them host. And I looked around at all the different podcasting plans out there, and I liked Buzzsprout the most. And it turns out that uh, these guys have great services for churches, too, so it was a perfect fit. Uh, a few other reasons why Church Mag is moving their podcast to be hosted with Buzzsprout, not only for the statistics that we're going to get, the stats of you know how many times the podcasts are being listened to, that sort of thing. And there was also some concern with us hosting our own audio of what if we actually went viral? What if we had a podcast just go huge well we have to pay for that bandwidth but when buzzsprout is hosting your audio and you have something go viral you don't have to worry about that also one thing that i loved about buzzsprout is that they host the files indefinitely as long as you're continuing to host with buzzsprout they will archive all of your podcasts and as far as the podcasts that we have dropped in the past they imported them automatically i just put in my rss they transferred them over. It was quick. It was easy. Buzzsprout is awesome, and that's why they're hosting the Church Mag Podcast. All right, top post from around the web. Phil, what do you have for us today? Uh, I got a post from, uh, gosh, it's, you know, a few episodes back, we tried to figure out how to say T-U-A-W. I got a post from uh, GigaOM or GigaOM. I don't even know. That's a problem with digital stuff. You can't read it. Jeremy, do you know how to pronounce that? Uh, it's GigaOM. 
Giga Ohm. Oh, it's not Giga. Yeah, how do you know this to be factual? Do they have YouTube videos or what? Um, he does a podcast, so I listen okay. to it. He says Giga Ohm. Okay. I thought it was Giga Ohm. It felt right. So, all right. Uh, they have an article about uh, the uh, new uh, M7 chip from the iPhone uh, 5S. And um, the M7 chip, in case you don't know, it's a coprocessor. How did we get all the way to S, by the way? Um, like, what happened to A and B? Does <laughs> S stand for something? I think the S was like, like the 3GS, because, you know, 3GS, you know, that's the speed. And I think the uh, iPhone 4S was, S was for Siri. And I think this S is for Silly? speed. I don't know. I'm not sure. Stupid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, Wow. Oh. Yeah, see this this is not this is not good. This whole letter thing. I mean with cars, you know, S E sports edition. You know. See, I had a Equinox XLT, I don't know, extra large tall. Is that like a big boy version? I didn't I just <laughs> <laughs> Well it belonged to you, Phil, so I imagine yes. Trust me, an XLT is still not gonna fit this frame, okay? Let me go ahead and give you that one. Okay, there. well what about this M seven? Uh, this M7 chip, well, which anyway. M7 is that supposed? Is that have anything to do with James Bond? I'm so confused no. right now. Um, the A7 chip is the uh, is currently the chip that um, that powers the iPhone 5 uh, 5s. You know, the A6 is in the iPhone 5 and whatnot. Um, the M7 is the coprocessor for the uh, for the A7, and what it does is its job is to constantly be processing data about motion and and, and whatnot. So it's um, it's constantly uh, directing towards uh, data from the accelerometer, from the from the, uh, the gyro, all that stuff. It's to pull that data in and sending it to the A7. And this article talks about how the the A7 uh, could, uh, or the M7, sorry, is like a backdoor way of approaching uh, wearable technology. That that chip could easily be part of, or could be the solution to uh, an iWatch, quote unquote, because that was that was the one device that did not show up at the Apple event that everyone was kind of thinking it would be, it'd be an, uh, an iWatch or an actual Apple TV, and of course none of those things showed up. And I, I think that that perhaps the M7 is the backdoor way of getting into wearable tech for Apple. Do you do you think that that's part of the strategy with the whole new? S phone, which speaking of what things stand for, what does what does C stand for, Jeremy? What is that? Cheap or or what? Color. Color. Oh, I thought mm-hmm. it was cheap because of the plastic case. What do you What do you guys think? Of, what do you guys think of the new C version? Personally, as, as a parent, my granted my daughter's three, so she's not going to get a phone until she's thirty. But uh, I think that it's a great idea. I would easily give my kid an iPhone five C. Uh, the iPhone 4S is, in my opinion, too old to give them. I uh, won't be able to play a lot of the newer games, and so it'll be, be a device that they're constantly whining about. The iPhone 5S is too expensive. I'm not going to give them a nice top-of-the-line phone. But the 5C, it's it's cheaper, not necessarily really cheap, but uh, it's still up-to-date, and it's cute and colorful, and it's a great kid phone, in my opinion. A kid phone. And what is the MSRP on that? <laughs> but you know what, though? I, I, I had kids, even when I worked in the inner city, where kids couldn't afford paper and pencils. I had kids with iPhone 4Ss when they just came out. So kids get these phones. So why not give them the cheaper phone? It's it's plastic. It looks like something a kid should own. If it's their Christmas gift, like you're not going to get them a Game Boy or a um, or what they call a DS. Sorry, I'm really old there. You're going to give them a DS or I'm not going to give them a kid an Xbox. They're going to get their phone. That's their video game player. It's their media device. It's their communication device. 
it's a computer on the go. There, boom, it's your present for all of Christmas. What do you think, Jeremy? I I will say that as far as a whole culture of Apple, I might not necessarily be on board about it. Um, but from a standpoint of actually discussing if Apple is making improvements, this is probably the most improvements that they have made in the last eight years. Because not only are they developing a whole new iOS for the entire new platform, but they actually, if you watch the Apple event, the entire presentation was about the hardware, which is something that's new for them. In the past, it's been, hey, look, we have Maps. Hey, look, we have Siri. And all these little gimmicky things. And so if we're talking about the improvement of, for Apple, that this is actually a big step for them because they're talking about the hardware. They're talking about the fact that there's more to this entire iPhone than just couple of gimmicky little apps. You know, one thing that's always been beautiful about what Apple's done with a lot of their products is they've made it simple. They've taken kind of the Chick-fil-A model where there's only like, but so many things to choose from. And now they've added more for people to choose from. They make quality products that last a long time, unless you're like me and drop the app the device every 10 minutes. But now with the plastic case and I drop it, it's just completely done. And that's my now, that's my new image of Apple. See, I don't think so, guys, because I had, and I'm not, you got good points. To me, the, uh, I had an iPhone 4, the all glass one. I thought this thing is going to shatter. I had a case on it, and I might have dropped it a few times, and some pretty, pretty bad drops. Never cracked a single bit. Uh, my, my MacBook that I'm using right now is a polycarb case. It's, poly, it's the, one of the older ones. They didn't think it was any cheap. They didn't charge any less for a polycarb MacBook. Why should they charge less for a polycarb iPhone? You put a case on that thing, I guarantee you it'd be fine. As far as comparing my sister's plastic computer to mine, her plastic Mac to my MacBook Pro, I just think hers is cheap. So I, I think that even then, I'm still going to have the thought that that's what it's going to be like with the phones. Yeah, see, I always thought it was a little bit beautiful how you could buy... The, the, the slight variations of models of Apple devices, especially with the, the portable devices, and how the App Store was pretty much a blanket store where it worked for multiple versions because the hardware was similar enough that the apps were spread across the board. If it worked on this year's model, it worked on last year's model. Sometimes it worked on the model before that. And I always thought that that was great. And now that they've including more models, you know, you're going to have the high end and then you're going to have this lesser one. You know, I don't know how that's going to work. I will give you that. The, the chip specs are going to be a problem for developers. Well, and then the programmer in me is like, hooray, after five iterations of the phone, they're finally updating the software. Boo, they're taking so long. It just shows how little they've actually focused on the code. So um, I guess I'm also having issue from a programming perspective. Why would you not be spending obsessive amounts of time about the code? It would be so easy to make that change as opposed to five iterations. Now we're going to actually give it the time of day it needs. I mean, I, I, I see your point there, but I, I'm not, I would hazard a guess. They're taking so much time on iOS 7 because they're setting it up to reduce the disparity between the 32-bit and 64-bit architecture of the two phones. But that feels like a very Apple thing to do, right? And it's not just, and it's not going to be just the phone. It's going to be the, it's going to be the, the iPod line, as well as the um, iPad Mini and the iPad lines as well. Right. But if, if you actually do programming at a bit level, honestly, all that is is one more digit in your 
architecture and it, it really shouldn't change much for you from a integrating program into hardware approach it, it'll be terrible for the, def, the app developers but from an iphone use it shouldn't be that much more difficult especially if you've written really good code yeah well i mean there i don't want to say it's a major hardware overhaul but to Adding in the secondary, the coprocessor and all that stuff. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more to consider in the updating the iOS stuff um, than before. And I would, it feels like, okay, Mount um, with OS, with OS X um, or OS 10, I guess is the appropriate way to say it. It took them a, a good amount of time between Leopard and Snow Leopard. Because I bought my laptop when it had Leopard, and I, and I got Snow Leopard. And Snow Leopard was designed to, like, reduce the footprint of the OS. It took off all the, all the old legacy stuff. I, maybe they're trying to work with that, trying to find a way. I don't know. I mean, I, I, when Apple goes slowly, it's usually for a good reason. Every now and then, you've got a white iPhone 4 situation where they go slowly because they screwed it up. I, I think one thing that makes everyone a little bit cautious and curious as to what's going on is because they do have new leadership. And so, you know, you have you have somebody different at the helm. And so it's it's anybody's guess what's, what's going to happen next. I mean, are they going to also release a cheaper model for the tablets as well, you know, it, it kind of opens up some interesting questions there as well. Yeah. I don't think the tablet, I think they already have. They have the iPad mini. They, have, they still sell the iPad 2. Uh, I think that that market is what it is. Basically, all they did was the iPhone C is the iPhone is the iPhone 5 in a colorful case. Mm-hmm. That's all it really is. So I, I don't think that they've really, everyone keeps saying they've replaced the iPhone 5. No, they just, they just put in a plastic case. So you see it more as a new model and a new line to step down and maybe get more life out of what they've invested technology-wise? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, here's what it is. I think people have been whining and whining for more options, for more colors. And so Apple's like, okay, we're not going dev- to design two new phones we're going to take the one phone we have and cheapen it up slightly. I mean, again, slightly. It's not a ton cheaper, but it, it is cheaper. And uh, you don't go to Apple for a bargain. If you, that's your mentality, then that's where you need to go into the Android marketplace because there's no bargains with Apple. Um, even as an educator, I get like 50 bucks off on a laptop, which is, ooh, 50 bucks off. That's, you know, big spender there. So I, I think that that was a mentality. Let's just take what we have. Let's uh, put, some, put a cheaper case around it and, and we'll call, make it colorful. Maybe this was kind of a move to uh, give the, the lower priced Android phone models a bit of competition because, I mean, at, on a global scale, Apple's way behind as far as market share goes. Yeah. I'd say what it, I, I think the iPhone 5C looks cool. I like the colorful. I, I like plastic over metal. Someone interesting enough said that it's only cool when all the options are together. But when you get your one color, your one phone, it's not as cool because you get bored of it after after just a couple of weeks. Maybe. I got a white polycarb MacBook. I've got a brushed aluminum MacBook Air from work. And I've got a black iPhone. I had a black Mr. Coffee coffee pot at work. It broke uh, last week. Went to the store to buy a new one. All they had was white. I bought it. I, I kind of like having the white coffee pot. Well, it's interesting. You know, at the beginning, Jeremy was talking about the durability. And we still have the old white MacBooks and uh, around the house here. And it, it's still it's still holding up. Right. So, I mean, yeah, that's what I've got. meanwhile, I know Jeremy's going around with a, with a dented 
MacBook aluminum. Let me say this about durability. I had a clamshell Mac iBook. I fell on it. It still worked for two more years. Without seeing you, Phil, I don't think that that speaks as much volumes as if this were on video. Let me phrase it like this. I've got girth. Baby got back. All right. I'm not a small person. Jerry was going to push back, but he's not big enough. (laughs) All right. You guys want to do this again? I'm switching to Android. So yes. I'll only do it if I can record on an iPhone 5C, which you need the expense for me, Eric. Right. So then, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I think we need to do a a tradition where when we we say that line and we know it's that line, we end with boom shakalaka, and then that's it. (laughs) You can always edit out the boom shakalaka, but the rest of us will know, oh, shut up, we're done, we're done, shut up, don't talk anymore, boom shakalaka. And so it may seem intimidating, and that's why it's important... um, Good grief. I don't know where I'm going with this. Somebody else say something. Boom shakalaka. Oh, and there it is. (laughs) This is Oak Touch Man Production.